This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, January 22nd. We're talking about the House of Mouse. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Fool.com's Dan Klein. I had a mouse in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Went to our family house in New Hampshire. Hadn't been there in a few weeks. Went to go to the bathroom. Bunch of mice had decided to commit suicide in the toilet. Oh, that's morbid so and gross, That is Dan. not the mouse in the house we're talking about. <laughs> no, we are big difference between the house of mouse and mouse in the house. Much healthier mouse we're talking about here. Order and prepositions really matter there. Um, yeah, we're talking about Disney today. I'm a Disney theme park pass holder. And <laughs> I am a shareholder. And and I'll tell you, Dan, you know, when when I joined the fool. Um, we make a certain amount of money available to new employees. It's it's part of your onboarding where you get some money, and the goal is for you to start investing, to buy some shares so that you start understanding how the stock market works, you start following companies. And even if you're not in an investing role or in the editorial department, you start following businesses the way that a lot of our investing teams do. And when I made my first purchase with some of this money that I'd been given, uh, I bought a lot of the no-brainer stocks because I was like, I'm new to this. I want to learn. And so it was Whole Foods. It was Apple. And it was the House of Mouse. It was Disney. And I think if there's anyone like me that has the same holding period, they're kind of like throwing their hands up like, what's going on with this company? Well, Disney's been challenged by they have been spending a lot of money to get to where they are now. So if you look at the Pixar purchase, the Lucasfilm purchase, it's all about amassing a film schedule that they can build everything else off of. When you release movies, are you more likely to go see the new Star Wars or Space Adventure Part 1? With it's Yeah, it's a great preview, but you don't know the Space Adventure characters so well. You take the known entity. So that's what Disney has been doing. They have been building up intellectual property. But when you look at that, you can't make a new Star Wars film in three months. You can't build an a Star Wars land at Disney World and Disneyland in three months or a year or three years. So there's been a long-term investment in getting Disney to the point where their movie business, which while it's only a relative fraction of their revenue at about $7 billion this year, that is the driver for everything else. You take something like Marvel. How many movies, television shows, theme park rides, a little limited on theme parks in the U.S. because of the universal deal uh, where they don't have the rights to some of their own characters. Pajamas, comic books, video games, ice cream bars. <laughs> pretty much, There is nothing that Disney can't license once it has the right intellectual property in place. Yeah, we talk about the Disney magic so often. I think the true Disney magic is its IP if you're looking at it from an investing perspective. Yeah, and but you, so you asked why has it been so slow? Why has the stock sort of languished in this range? Some of it is when you are as successful as Disney – small failures resonate. So one of the ones we talked about earlier today uh, was Solo. Solo was a 400 million, 392 to be fair, (laughs) million dollar box office bomb. That's not, by the standard of bombs, very bomby. There are a lot of studios that would kill for that to be a bomb. It will probably actually break even or come, no movie, you you know movie accounting, they always, you know, try to make it not break even to not have to pay actors more. But that film didn't lose a lot of money. That's what a Disney bomb looks like now. 
ESPN. Oh my God, ESPN's in free fall. They lost a million subscribers in three years, whatever the number is. Relatively, ESPN is still the cable channel you pay the most for. It's still in 90-something million homes or 88 or whatever the exact number is. Every little misstep with Disney is a big deal because it wasn't Space Rogue the movie. It was Solo, and we know who Han Solo is. My mother, my grandmother, who is deceased, my great-grandmother, who is very deceased, all knew who Han Solo was. <laughs> We've had a very morbid take so far between between the mice and, 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 and your family tree, Dan. Uh, I, I, it's not a tragedy that my died-at-99-year-old great-grandmother, right. but she knew who Han Solo was. Right. So when that movie doesn't do well, it really resonates. When the latest Pirates of the Caribbean wasn't reviewed that well, and while globally it did okay, it was kind of a middling sort of U.S. thing – that feels like a much bigger failure than when like Comcast re- releases something under Universal that was a $200 million guess. Like, you know, their uh, Tom Cruise remake of The Mummy. That's a much bigger failure than Solo. It just doesn't have the name recognition. So between some of these misses, we'll call quote unquote misses, and what's been going on with cord cutting, we have seen the stock kind of hang out in no man's land for a while. You look over the last couple of years, They've hung out between $90 and $120 a share. Depending on your cost basis, you're up maybe 20% and trailing the market or even down, perhaps, on Disney shares. And it's the difference between the leeway investors are going to give sort of a, a tech startup. It doesn't matter if Netflix spends three times more on content than what it's taking in. It, the ratio isn't that, but let's pretend it was. When Disney does the same because it's a mature company, nobody says, hey, Disney is positioning itself so no matter where cord cutting bottoms out and streaming, they will have every answer. But if you look at Disney+, Plus, if you look at their stake in Hulu, if you look at their, their owned networks and content, when we know what the cable landscape is, and we both cover this and we don't know if cord cutting bottoms out at 50 million homes or 75 million. We really don't know. Disney will be able to have the right property to sell you what you want in a way that, especially if you have kids, you have no choice but to buy it. You can't not have the channel that has frozen if you have, or cars, if you have eight-year-olds or six-year-olds. Or Yeah, the IP library is simply too valuable for Disney, and it's too much of a must-have for them. Um, I think also kind of looking back at why this company has struggled a bit over the last couple of years, because they have this robust ecosystem where they put out the movie, they sell the merchandise, they create the ride, any misstep at any point, especially when you're talking about the studio side of the business, is going to create trickle-down problems for the company. Right. And it's it's why they've taken a more measured approach. One of the drags in their business has been that they're later this year going to launch the largest expansion ever at Disney World and Disneyland, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. If you were planning a once-every-five-year mega family vacation to Disney World, would you go this year where they introduced a new roller coaster themed to the Slinky Dog from Toy Story, <laughs> or would you wait until the largest ever based on something adults also like? So they've done a ton of incentivizing to those of us Florida residents who have passes. Hey, come. We don't get any extra revenue from you crossing the door, but you're probably going to buy a churro and a drink and and maybe who knows what else. They have begged because people are pushing off vacations. Think of it all as investment. Disney has had to invest in Disney Plus 
invest in ESPN Plus, which I have a lot more questions about. That's much riskier. And the theme park investment is absolutely massive. I mean, when they launch the Star Wars Hotel, which is going to follow in 2020, 2021, it's going to be $2,000 a night per person is the rumor. They have not – but that think about that. For It's a tiny piece of revenue. It's only going to be a small hotel. But where else could you possibly charge that except for an interactive Star Wars immersive experience hotel? It speaks to the value of the franchises. And I think a lot of the people that really love the company have, have been pretty thrilled with the actual – product that's been put out there. I think a lot of the recent updates to some of these storied franchises have been good, and people have liked them, at least from a viewer's perspective. It's indulged the fans well. The financial results haven't been there, though. I think Pixar has generally been a home run. Um, They've had very few missteps, and even the missteps there are still very successful and well-regarded. Obviously, Solo, by the standards of Star Wars, they made a movie nobody cared about. All of these people who talk, oh, well, no one's going to see. Yeah, episode nine, people are going to see. They want to know what happens to the, you know, the call it the Skywalker saga. They want to know how they handle Princess Leia dying. Like, the, if they make a Darth Vader prequel, people will go to that. Han Solo was interesting because he was roguish. You didn't really know his backstory. When you fill that in, that was a misstep. You know, you, you don't want to be the mysterious guy out there at a date and the woman's got your whole bio. Like, that's not great. (laughs) So being plagued with some of these problems, also being plagued with some issues related to cord cutting, you look at the company's financials over the last year or so uh, and going back even to 2017, you know, they were flat in fiscal 2017. They returned to growth in 2018, 8% revenue growth, 40% bottom line growth, which is pretty incredible. I think they benefited a bit from some of the timing of releases. They were really crushed in 2017 by their release calendar. Yeah, f- fiscal 2017 did not have an Avengers movie. The Star Wars movie was the end of the year, so that put it into fiscal 2018. It had um, Coco, which was kind of a surprise hit, uh, Thor Ragnarok, which did better than the other Thor movies, but is still just a middling. And it's ridiculous to say any other company <laughs> would be thrilled to have a $500 million global box office success. But by Disney standards, it, they didn't have their billion-dollar standards. And when you have sort of a surprise, like Moana, the level of hit Moana was was a surprise. That means that when you go to stores, and we saw this with Frozen when it came out, nobody knew Frozen was going to be a phenomenon. You couldn't go to Target and buy a Frozen backpack. They sold out in eight seconds. I had friends who were combing the earth or making their own. (laughs) A year later, that wasn't an issue. They knew the demand. So when you have sort of an off year with box office, maybe the things you've lined up, the big deals, don't do as well on the other channels. And it is a ripple effect. Nobody wanted to go to Disney World to meet to do a meet and greet with young Chewbacca from Solo, <laughs> you know, where I, I didn't see Solo. Yeah. It's, I've read every Star Wars book and seen every movie except the books about Solo and the movie just didn't have any appeal. And I am the core audience. So I know that my girlfriend, who's a big Star Wars fan, loved Solo because her ultimate fan crush is Harrison Ford as Solo. So, okay. so it, it properly <laughs> indulged. So it met that audience very well. She was very happy with the movie. But um, I think you're right. I think that the timing of some of those releases made it tricky, and also the level of hit factor that they were made it a little tricky with their financials. We look now, so they just closed out fiscal 2018 uh, back in the fall, and I mentioned 8% revenue growth, and the EPS numbers are looking pretty good too. 
And yet, we're seeing Disney now trading at the lowest valuation that it's seen in the past couple of years. I think right now shares are around 13 and a half times trailing earnings. So there's uncertainty in a number of areas. The Fox purchase, which was, I forget the number, 20-something billion, could be a drag. They, they brought back a lot of intellectual property that will eventually work, but it's going to take them a while. How does Disney put out a Deadpool movie? <laughs> That's not a classic Disney release. Um, can Disney do something like you know the Logan movie, which was the one of the later uh, X Men sequels that was very very dark and doesn't feel like Disney at all? So I think they'll figure out how to make those movies and then make them theme park rides where they have the rights. But there's a lot of questions about that. The other big question is ESPN Plus, and this is the one area if I'm going to question what Disney's doing. When they launch Disney Plus, they're going to launch it with Star Wars shows, Marvel shows, Disney Kids properties, Mickey Mouse. No-brainer. I will pay for that right now in advance. ESPN Plus is spending huge money, uh, $200 million a year to UFC for things that 600,000 people watched when they were on FS1 for free. I question building a, a service around stuff not good enough to air on ESPN. Do you think that some of that, though, is people looking out and saying, all right, professional sports contracts are getting outrageous. It's becoming so expensive to be the source for all of the main leagues. We need to appeal to the niches that we know exist because, I mean, WWE is the perfect example <laughs> of a company that has, it doesn't make any sense to me as a niche, but has built an empire on a very specific audience. So we're taping this in advance. Yeah. The day we taped this, I did a market foolery with Chris Hill, and we talked about exactly this topic. WWE brings an audience. So WWE to Fox, where they're paying a billion dollars over five years for SmackDown Live, will do 1.8 to 2.2 million people, and maybe it'll tick up, maybe it'll tick down. If they get a character that's hot, maybe it can get to 3 million. It's not going to bottom out. That is a sure thing. When you are taking top-ranked boxing and giving them hundreds of millions of dollars with only a few stars, people are actually so far proven more willing to spend $60 on a pay-per-view mm -hmm. than $6 a month. It's been a problem for the WWE Network. They took – they said, okay, Dylan's not a wrestling fan, but he loved Hulk Hogan. I know you didn't, but play, but play – <laughs> I'll play along. I'll play, play along. along. And he buys WrestleMania every year and one other pay-per-view. He is spending $150 with us every year. Why wouldn't he spend $9.99 a month? Because it's an impulse buy mm -hmm. that you're buying. So, so that is where I think – Maybe they will figure out enough niche sports that I say, ooh, because I want to watch that boxing fight, I will happily watch the other shows they're producing, and it's worth it to me. For me, I have every other streaming service, almost literally <laughs> every other streaming service. Nothing ESPN Plus has showed me. Like, I'd love to watch Katie Nolan's show. I think she's a great performer. I'm not paying $6.99 or $5.99 or whatever the number is. It depends how long you subscribe for. It's That's the one I question. But remember, this isn't ESPN. This is the add-on. If they start giving me ESPN and make it $9.99 a month, that's part of why I have Sling TV is access to ESPN. They're protecting their cable business by not doing that. Someday they won't do that. It seems like so much of the uncertainty that's currently priced into Disney and the expectations for the company are, well, what value does ESPN have in the future for them, right? Because that has been not quite the moneymaker, but it's been one of the strongest franchises they've had outside of the traditional movie library. That they and, own. and it's been a subscription business 
so if you look at it, Disney it was getting it's almost nine dollars for like the ESPN family of channels. It varies by cable company, and you couldn't opt out. It was part of basic cable, and everyone had to have cable. That's a pretty good business to be in. Now that cable is probably going to lose two million subscribers this year, so and then another four or five million will have switched to cheaper streaming. That gets to like eight or nine million potential customers lost by ESPN that they used to do nothing for. So yes, ESPN is going to to take a hit. But Disney has all these other ways they can make that back. Could they bundle ESPN in with the Disney Channel, all of its kids stuff, Disney Plus, Hulu, whatever else, and make you a very attractive offer that starts to reverse that growth? Or could Disney just say, it's a new world. We're going to buy all sorts of niche stuff. We're not going to buy the NFL next time. Right there, budget problem solved. <laughs> All right, Dan, we're going to talk a little bit about some of that optionality that Disney has and why I think it's kind of a tantalizing moment to be looking at Disney shares on the back half of the show. Before we get over to that discussion, though, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. The company has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule replaces 50 years of antiquated technology. The HEPA filter technology that's been used to clean your air was developed in the 1940s, and there haven't been any major innovations since. Now, Molecule's PECO technology goes beyond the HEPA filter system to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. That includes pollutants a thousand times smaller than what the HEPA filters can catch. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, and it helps them better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was, quote, able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. The company's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified by third parties in university labs like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and University of Minnesota's Particle Calibration Laboratory. The products are easy to use, have a clean and sleek design from the materials on the device, like its sleek aluminum shell, to the filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. The company dropped off a couple models for us to check out, and the fool analysts were all over them. I think Jim Mueller from our investing team wound up buying a couple after having it home for one night, so he was clearly convinced that it was worth the time. Listeners, you can get $75 off your first order. Visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. That's molekule.com and promo code FOOL75. All right, Dan, we have painted a little bit of an uncertain picture for Disney in this, in this first half of the it's show. A, it's an uncertain if your timetable is short. Yes. They own everything they need. They just don't know how to deploy those assets. Even if you look at the movie theater business is becoming blockbuster driven. The art house film is much more likely to have a limited release and go to Netflix now. The only films you are going to see are the Disney ones. If you look, we we passed around this list. Was it seven out of the ten most anticipated? It was a Fandango list. Oh, yeah, it was something ridiculous. Seven like out of ten are Disney movies. They have the next Star Wars movie and Avengers Infinity War and Frozen 2, which didn't make the list, <laughs> coming out next year. That is absolutely, those are all, that's four and a half billion dollars of box office if they don't do well. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, to your point earlier about the Disney standards being a little different, there's a lot to be excited about. 
with this company. Um, you named a couple, but the slate for 2019 releases is darn impressive. And I have to think, looking back at how we were talking about it before, the studio business fuels the merchandise business, fuels the theme park business. You get those types of hits, it could be off to the races again, especially because so many of these are proven franchises. And they've also gotten smarter about their business. So part of the reason for the Fox acquisition is so when Disney makes its box office slate every year, it can line up and say, we have 10 guaranteed hits and we are taking two shots of maybe a remake and maybe one new property, that which they're more likely to do animated because the failure on an animated can be made up in the secondary. There's still a DVD market. There's still a kid's market. So if you put out like a Cars 3 and it doesn't do as well in the box office, still going to do fine. Kids like to watch movies. Parents can't pay attention all the time. Parents love for their kids to be watching movies. (laughs) Yes. But the other thing they've gotten really smart about doing is there are all sorts of additions coming to the theme parks. There's a Tron roller coaster. There's the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster at Epcot. There's a pretty major makeover at Epcot. there, there's some tweaks and some new shows at Hollywood Studios. They aren't telling you when any of those things are coming. Because if I really, really want to go to Hollywood Studios because of the new Mickey Mouse ride, which is the first ever Mickey Mouse featuring ride, and some people are very big Mickey Mouse fans, I know living in Florida, <laughs> they're not letting you know exactly when that's going to open because they don't want me to say, I won't renew my pass. I'll wait six months until I know when that ride's opening. You know, that dynamic reminds me a little bit of the – Apple iPhone product release problem where they say, okay, we've got the new device coming out. Here's where it is. And then sales halt (laughs) because everyone is like, well, I'm not going to buy a new one. Like, I'm going to wait until the next one comes out and I want to see what the specs look like. And the other thing that Disney has fallen victim to is when you put something out that's kind of underwhelming. So, So their big release this year was Toy Story Land. Toy Story Land was an existing ride, Midway Mania, which is a great ride. It's really fun. It's a shooting gallery. It's interactive. It's a lot of fun. A sort of carnival spinner ride that's nothing special. There's 30 other versions of it in the parks. And a family roller coaster and a couple of new quick serve restaurants. A very nice addition to a park that needed it, but nobody's taking a vacation for that one. Right. And they built up anticipation. The same thing happened at Universal Studios. Their big ride this year was Fast and the Furious, which is a fine ride. It's not that fast. It isn't at all furious. It's <laughs> it's not a thrill ride. And people really, because that was the big release for the year, now they're only going to do major releases when it really is something major. When it's just an incremental, here's something cool that's new, they're going to downplay it a little bit and try to even out their business. The biggest challenge Disney's going to have in the next two years is how do you manage capacity? When when you have the the Star Wars ride that has you're piloting the Millennium Falcon and there's six simulators and six people can sit in six and it's a six or seven minute ride, you can see how the line's going to get pretty long for that one. So how do they entice you? And they're doing it with pricing to go to Animal Kingdom that day mm-hmm. to to go to you know whichever park isn't going to do well to take a water park day. They the the pricing on the tickets for one day is different by park. It's different by crowd. There's all sorts of premium upcharges. If you want to ride that ride five times in a row and you're willing to pay $200, there'll be an option for you to do that. Something I want to do while we're talking about Disney is dissect the Disney Plus offering a little bit, because I know as a shareholder, this is something I have looked to and said, 
this is the no-brainer service, right? If you're a parent and you have young kids, you pretty much have to have it because that's what they want. They want that IP library. <laughs> so you assume they're going to bundle a lot of the kids' programming. I would think so. Obviously, some of that is licensed elsewhere, but eventually, just like they pulled back everything Marvel from Netflix, eventually they're going to pull back whatever they can pull back. So you're going to get your your Mickey Mouse and Goofy and Pluto and eventually the library of movies and, and all the stuff that every kid watches a thousand times. That's going to be an enticement. Where they have an advantage over Netflix, and we've talked about this a few times personally and, and on the air, is that... They know in creating two Star Wars shows, unless those shows are terrible, which they won't be given the creative people involved, um, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> Michael Douglas is going to watch that. Yes, for not, the, the, not the actor. Not the, the actor. The, 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 I was going to say, for those of you who have been an industry focus follower for a long time, you know Michael's name. He's, yeah. he's a very big Star Wars fan along, <laughs> along with me. When they launch a, a show based on Loki – Starring Tom Hiddleston, the actor who played him in the movies. That's going to be a major draw. And I don't think – I look at Netflix. If there's one show I'm watching that gives me something to do tonight, that is worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Disney won't have to make as many shows to hit all the age demographics. Plus, they do have whatever they own through ABC. I don't know. Roseanne reruns. I'm not, <laughs> not really sure what, what ABC owns and doesn't own. Uh, all the old Wide World of Disney's, all the archival programming. But in terms of their new content spend, they're going to be able to figure out Gee, Dylan is not a Star Wars fan, <laughs> but this is what we own. He loves Pirates of the Caribbean. And we are going to do a show based on the young Captain Jack. I don't even remember <laughs> if that's the guy's name. I think it, it is. It is. It's Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, they don't have to build out the library and spend, you know, $8 billion, $14 billion, whatever it is that Netflix wants to drop to create shows that they can then spread fixed cost over. Uh, so the, the financials look a little bit different. But thinking about Disney Plus a little bit, you, you tell someone, okay, they're getting into streaming. This is where the industry is going. That sounds like a game changer. And then you start looking at the numbers a little bit, and it's not quite the case. No, nobody else. So everybody's launching a streaming service. Yeah. Most of the wireless carriers that are in the content, AT&T and Verizon, they're, it, all the broadcast networks on some level are talking about, you know, and obviously Comcast is NBC and Disney owns ABC. CBS has their service with Star Trek and mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, the 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 Good Wife spinoff, the Good Fight, but Disney can do this in a way that really nobody else can. You could argue maybe if Comcast and Sony teamed up, maybe they'd have even half of what Disney can launch with. Mm -hmm. But think about it: they could do a spinoff of Frozen and an adult-themed X-Men show. <laughs> like, right, not that adult. It's Disney, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they but they have the content library to draw on. I think what's interesting though is you hear that and you think, okay, this should be a boon for them financially. And the reality is, it's a cost for a long time. It's a cost for a long time, and I think even if it hits the scale that a Netflix is at, it isn't going to be a huge, huge driver short term for them financially because. They've already talked about in the past how they know they can't price at what Netflix is at because – and CEO Bob Iger has said this – they have less volume. They're not going to have the depth in terms of product library. They're going to have everything you want to watch. <laughs> See, I don't think they could launch at $11.99 a month. I think they're going to have to launch at $6.99, $7.99 or do uh, what 
what some of the other services have done, give you a year for 60 bucks or whatever you pay up front. But I think the reality is it's not going to take them that long of dollar a year price increases to, to get where they need to be. And this will hurt third-rate streaming services. Mm -hmm. Like, Are you going to maybe drop DC Universe, WWE Network, MLB, whatever it is, if you're only kind of using it? Yes, (laughs) (laughs) because your whole family is going to get value out of this. But I really do think this becomes the one that, yeah, you're going to have Netflix, you're going to have Disney, you'll have Amazon Prime, not because you're paying for it, because you like free delivery. Yeah. And maybe you'll have, whether it's Hulu or Sling or your streaming service, that's going to be your like $60, $70, $80 cable bill. And, you know, I don't see anybody else being able to, to get in as cheaply as Disney's going to be able to get in. I 100% agree with you, Dan, in, ter- <laughs> in terms of the pricing being we need to start low and see exactly where the price sensitivity is. But knowing that they're probably going to be coming in at $7 or $8, you think about it, right? If they get 100 million subscribers <laughs> years out from now, not immediately, because this will launch in late 2019, that's not going to be a huge boost to the top line for them because they are a big business. They make, I think, $60 billion in trailing 12-month revenue. No, it's not. But it's also going to be all of the other things you can do with that. Mm-hmm. So this will support more theme park rides. They will, in theory, make stars out of characters that were in their universe but weren't stars. So that becomes meet and greets. That becomes more pajamas. It becomes video games. Um, And it's sort of all the ability to just get every nickel out of what they have. And much like Netflix, Netflix is spending six to eight billion, whatever the number is. That's not a forever number. Because at some point, they're going to say, we have this huge library, and all we need is, for the existing customer, the one or two things they're going to watch every quarter. So you're not, if you're Disney, going to have to build, once you have 10 seasons of Star Wars The Mandalorian and whatever the other Star Wars show is going to be, maybe you only have a Star Wars series that you know produces 13 episodes every two years. You're not going to need the level of content spend as you build the library. And your library is going to be way more hit-driven. I mean, there are shows like if I said The Ranch and The Laptop, do you know which one is a Netflix show? <laughs> I know The Ranch is a Netflix show, and I've, never, pro- I've never watched it. Can you promise me The Laptop isn't? I can't. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> They're both nouns. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing I think that you need to keep in mind, too, if you're looking at Disney shares over the next year or so, and you're kind of thinking about what this streaming service might do, is there are going to be people that are cable subscribers – that decide I don't need this anymore because all my kids want are the Disney franchises anyways. Uh, So I have everything and cable. I am right at the edge of saying we don't need cable because one of my logics on cable was you pay extra on some of the services like Sling costs you more for multiple streams. So it wasn't feasible for my wife and I to be watching one show and my son to be watching another. We'd have to pay extra for that. My son doesn't watch traditional television. He is much more likely to watch a Disney streaming service than he is to ever flip around and watch Iron Man on the on the the Disney Channel. There's a cartoon. I watch it sometimes, or or to watch Star Wars Rebels or any of the the Disney content that he'd probably like. He's much more comfortable with a 
an iPad or his phone watching stuff. So we have gotten to the tipping point where the only reason I keep traditional cable is I don't want to have to go to the bar to watch sporting events. <laughs> and when I figure out the best way to sort of bundle, because I live out of market for my team, so it's not that hard. When I figure out the way to like get the Rangers, the Red Sox, the Boston Celtics, and the, and the New England Patriots, and it doesn't cost me, we cost a lot to do that now. That I'm done. And I don't think you're alone there, Dan. Um, and I mentioned that to say that Disney Plus has not necessarily found money for this company. It's, it's going to It's come, protecting their own turf. It's protecting their own turf. And in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of what we have seen so many software companies do over the past five, ten years. You know, I, I think of Microsoft really specifically where they said, okay, we're not going to sell individual years of office. We're going to slide over to the software as a service model. And they weathered some lumps in doing that, but look at where they are now. And I think that's where Disney is going. I mean, you know, they'll own a controlling stake in Hulu, which has a live TV service, whether they buy out their partners or do something on their own. But their ability to take what they already own in the cable space, maybe make deals with some lesser players like a Discovery or, or who knows who else, maybe Fox, because they have a good Fox relationship. And if you own, if you had Disney and Fox in your bundle, that's a lot of sports. Yeah, you know, you're losing a little with TNT, TBS. Maybe you can make that deal too, but your ability to be the Disney package that costs twenty two ninety nine and makes it not worth having Sling TV or whatever else the options are, that's going to be there. They just don't know what the deals are going to be, and you know they're going to have to sell you ESPN. Yeah. At some point, they have to go to their cable partners and say, "I'm sorry," because if if you look, Sling TV has ESPN but it's at a capped total. They don't publicize what that number is, but there is some point where Sling will say, and that's how they appeased cable. This is only going to take so many subscribers before they have to pay more or, or whatever. Eventually, it is going to be a free-for-all, and they are going to lose rates here, but cable, if it slips from 88 million to 80 to 75, wherever it's going to go, is going to lose bargaining power. And Disney's going to say, hey, you're not selling this for me. I have to go sell it myself. All right. To bring this conversation full circle here, we started out talking about how over the last couple of years, Disney shares have not really done a particularly great job <laughs> for their shareholders. You know, they've been uh, below market in terms of their returns. Looking out, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about with this company. I don't think that Disney Plus is something that they're going to turn on and start printing money. No, it's a drag for three to five years. Yeah. And, and I think the the slate of movies that they have coming out in 2019 really cues them up well for subsequent years. And the box office numbers are going to look great. But the other stuff is going to come in the years that follow. So this year, no one. This will be a record box office. I wouldn't be shocked if they hit $10 billion. When, when you look at the slate of what they have. Now, that said, there will be something that fails. Probably not one of the big three. Avengers 2 isn't going to fail. <laughs> Star Wars isn't going to fail. Frozen 2 isn't going to fail. But there is probably a misstep in there. And it doesn't matter. The reality is this, this year is going to set them up. But that's the blueprint they have. As they start being able to – if they can add two films a year from the Fox library that become automatic box office hits essentially – that shores up their whole business and resonates through all of it, down to the, the streaming service, down to the – so this was a period of investment to figure it out. And even with Star Wars, 
they're not never going to make another standalone movie again. They're just going to pick better. Or if they make a solo, they're not going to spend $250 million making it. They're <laughs> going to recognize that a Boba Fett movie is maybe a $500 million box office movie. Spend $60 million on it and another 60 marketing it. Don't spend 250 and go through three directors. Yeah, more lessons learned for Disney. I think for me as a shareholder, I, I would have liked to have seen better returns over the last couple of years. I understand why it didn't happen. I'm still not expecting anything crazy in 2019 for them. I think you might get, call it an artificial bump, because the box office will be so high from sort of that surface report. Box office numbers get a lot of media. It's one of the few business metrics that like everybody hears all day, and it's never explained right. Like they never talk about like what it costs to make the movie or the fact that the theaters get some of the money. And Disney is in a very good position to negotiate those splits for some of those movies. So I think there might be some artificial bumps, but when you dig into the numbers, the costs are going to be very high. Um, they they at the theme park level will come off the Star Wars. They're not slowing construction at all. There's multiple hotels, there's multiple major rides. So they are still in a very big capital intensive period. And frankly, that's not gonna slow down. But the content investment will slow down. They they are not they, they don't need 17 more Star Warses for the the streaming service once they've made a couple of shows. They the the Loki series, the Scarlet Witch series, those are going to be valuable to new subscribers for 30 years probably until until they just look bad cuz they're old. Yeah. I'm looking at this stock and I'm saying, you know, I think 2020, 2021 could be far better for this company than 2019 will be, even though there's a lot of really good stuff to look forward to. On that though, I will add that if people are looking out at 2019 and they're a little bit concerned about what's going on in the market, Disney's a company that's not going anywhere. It's a, it's a safe haven. Yeah. Because the reality is it could have a middling year based on uh, expenses dragging on profits, but it's not going to fail. <laughs> it's, it's not going to fail, and it trades at such a low valuation right now that there's only so much room for it to go down. You know, I, I talked about this with Brian Feroldi on the tech show a couple weeks ago. And we talked about that with Microsoft. You know, we talked about that with Verizon. Those are the types of companies that, yes, they'll get stung a little bit by a recession, but not going anywhere. Not a bad place to park cash. I kind of look at Disney the same way right now, where it's, you know, yes, there are some good things to look forward to. I don't think 2019 is going to be the banner year, but you could do far worse. There's also some things, and I'll close on this, that Disney can do that Netflix has intentionally not sold DVDs of anything it owns. Some things it doesn't control the ability to not do that, but. Disney could very much say there is a percentage of people who are never going to buy Disney Plus, but who will buy The Mandalorian on whatever format, streaming, DVD, whatever it is, at a premium price. <laughs> so their ability to sort of wring every dime out of this stuff, and I get why Netflix is doing that. They want you as a subscriber. It becomes sort of a passive renewal. But if you've made a decision that all you like about Disney is Star Wars – Disney will sell you Star Wars at whatever price you're willing to pay for it. Disney will find a way. <laughs> Dan, thanks for hopping on today's show. I'll wear Jedi robes next time. <laughs> Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at pool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the videos from this podcast on YouTube where you will see that Dan is not wearing a Jedi robe. <laughs> As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. 
Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm-hmm.